First Peter chapter 5. I know it's outside of Acts, but today is a very special day for many reasons. And uh, one of those is the, the Lord has given us Miss Pinkston, and now he's also given us others to join us in this journey, shepherding his flock. We're blessed today to ordain two new pastors into our leadership at Grace Fellowship. These men have been serving faithfully, um, and, but today is our privilege to formally set them aside to the task that they have been at the entire time they've been with us. Adam Swan and his wife Laura joined us uh, officially April of 2019, which is hard to believe. They came to us for a long tenure of service with, after they had served Harvestfield Church in Etowah County for a long time. And from the first time Adam talked with our pastors as a group, that we, we had absolute confidence that God would lead him to join us here. I don't have any need to explain to you the character, work ethic, love, and joy this brother has in serving Jesus Christ and the church. He is also one of the most skilled men at designing worship services and calling people into the presence of our king together that I've ever seen. And to top it all off, uh, he can sing <laughs> and play a guitar. In many places, someone with Adam's musical ability and his leadership ability in that area would be given that task to do, and that's it. But he told us, he told me, and then he told our elders the first time we were with him, if that's what you want me to do, then I'm not interested. I don't want to just be the music guy. I want us to be a shepherd. I want to pastor the people. And, uh, and if you want me to sing, I'll be glad to, but I, I want to be a pastor. That's what I am. He has one primary passion in ministry, and that is to shepherd the flock. We've all benefited from this passion. I'll never forget the first time my wife came to me with tears and said, do you know that my pastor Adam sent me a text today and asked what he could pray for me for? That is a huge thing for someone's wife who their husband is also a pastor. <laughs> huge and he just did it without any mention. For two years, I've walked with this man day after day. Adam, I want to say publicly, you have tirelessly given yourself to this work. As all of you know, you receive a text, a phone call, a visit, a lunch invitation, a call to come over and sit by a fire pit. Or you might find yourself sitting in a local restaurant listening to him sing and play. But all of that is just so that Adam can know you. So he can love you. So he can shepherd you. So he can encourage you as you walk with Jesus. I've also watched as he teaches the word to our youth on Wednesday nights and new members classes and preached in our pulpit and discipled young and old at the office. He's apt to teach and takes every opportunity given to him to do it. It has been encouraging to my soul to share in this call of pastoring with you, my brother. And I can't wait to walk side by side and work side by side with you for the long haul. We don't have time, and it really isn't necessary for me to go through all the reasons why Adam is being ordained today. He's 
truly gifted pastor. But I do want to quickly affirm also his leadership of his own family. Adam loves his wife with energy and passion. And he serves her, he prays for her, he humbly repents when he fails. She's, she's humble to tell him he failed and he's humble to repent <laughs> of his failures. If you've um, spent time with Laura, you know that she's a woman with many gifts, so talented, and yet she's following Adam by choice, not because of necessity. That's a beautiful thing. So, Laura, I want to thank you for giving Adam to us. You helped make all of this possible with a smile a gentle spirit, sacrifice so that he's free to live out what he's called to do every day. You also keep him in line, which we all appreciate. Um, and uh, so Adam and Laura, Grace Fellowship loves you so much that you willingly lay down your life to shepherd us. I would be remiss if I didn't also say that it's been fun to watch Raylan grow up and now Ava the love that's shared between your children and you both is amazing. You're, you're not only a good pastor for us, but you're good shepherds over their hearts. And we are praying for you as you continue to lead them. Grace Fellowship today, we are honored and excited to set aside Adam Swan for the work of being an elder, overseer, and shepherd of God's flock, which he has placed him over. That is our joy. This is a glorious day. Corey Hughes <laughs> came to our Grace Fellowship family in January of 2020. Um, I don't know what it means that we immediately then faced a worldwide pandemic, <laughs> which, which had not happened in over 100 years, but... I'm sure there's some kind of connection there. <laughs> um, Corey, without question, from the beginning, I've known and these elders have known that you are called by God, gifted to shepherd his flock. Um, you know, we talked, I don't even remember when, but before it ever happened, we talked one time, and he went to his current boss in Richmond and said, hey, this little church down in Alabama is excited about maybe me coming to interview. And his boss said, no. You committed for two years? It's two years it is. You're a year in. So. <laughs> and Corey showed his character. He came back and said, my boss said no. So the answer is no. And then we moved on. Until... <laughs> List a little bit later in the journey, the door began to open again. By God's grace and providence, he opened the door, and Casey and the children, you guys moved down here. And we've had the joy of watching you guys love each other. Because if you know Corey and Casey, you, you get in their house before too long. Like, they want you to be in their life. 
Um, yesterday, he FaceTimed me from his hammock with his, two of his three kids crawling on him and Casey laying out. And uh, like he was just so joyful with his kids. When you're in their home, you're going to see that they both love their children, love one another. And um, that is a gift of example to us as a shepherd. Not only that, but he's only passionate about a few things. Believe it or not, he really is only passionate about a few things. Corey loves Jesus. He loves being a witness of the gospel. He loves shepherding and discipling the people of God. Corey loves his wife and children. He serves his family. He leads them to love the Lord. And if you spend any time at Corey's house, then you know that his family has a ton of fun. They really do. It's, it's infectious. His specific gifting is leadership and development and missions and discipleship and counseling and preaching. And do I need to keep going? Corey, you're one of the most gifted men I've ever been with. The great thing is, is that we're just scratching the surface of where God will go. Casey, thank you for entrusting him to us and letting him do what he loves to do and standing and supporting him and keeping him in line. For real, I was kind of joking about Laura, but not this time. <laughs> I, I can always trust that when Corey's got the big head, he goes home. Then he doesn't have a big head anymore. <laughs> we'll refrain from all the funny stories. <laughs> But it's, it's so beautiful to watch. Um, Grace Fellowship today, we're honored and excited to set Corey Hughes apart for the task which he's already been about, and that's shepherding the flock of God. It's a glorious day in our body. A glorious day. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you younger men, submit yourselves to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The apostle Peter wrote these words to a church under the heat of persecution. I think we often forget the context of this passage. We rip it off the page and use it in services like this. In times we're talking about eldership. But I just want you to back up quickly at verse 12 in chapter 4. And look what he says. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange is happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. You see the connection, the literal connection between chapter 4, the sufferings of Christ, and what P 
Peter said, one who witnesses the sufferings of Christ and our text. The context of this passage of exhortation to elders is that you're being exhorted to lead and shepherd and oversee and care for the sheep that God has entrusted to you during the trials and the sufferings of this life. Now, there's no flame burning here yet, though it could come. But there is a flame burning us, isn't it? Always there is a flame burning us. We're wrong to act like the real persecution will come one day if the government raises a sword. The persecution of the church is unceasing and unrelenting from the beginning of the church until today. And so what we are called to do and what Peter is exhorting us to do is to join in this work of watching over God's people during the trial that he has put over them and with them. To suffer as they suffer. The background of this passage is, you don't have to turn there, but you can write it down and read it later, Ezekiel 9. Ezekiel 9, God tells Israel through Ezekiel, the, the judgment of God is coming on the people, and it will begin in the house of God. And it will start with the elders. In other words, when you come to be a shepherd, you come to be the first on the line of God's refining fire. This is no weak position. This is no menial thing that he's called you to do. We have been called to set an example by being sanctified by the refiner. So that the people, by example, see they should be sanctified by the refiner. We've been called to not flinch in the face of trial, but rather stand courageously so that the sheep are emboldened to stand courageously. Often pastors are bellyaching and whining about how weak their flock is, and they're only telling on themselves. Peter says... He is exhorting them to be elders among the people. Among the people that God has entrusted, the sheep that God has entrusted to them. Notice that he doesn't take, Peter doesn't in verse 1, he doesn't take a high and lofty title. Couldn't he have pulled rank? So I exhort you as the apostle. <laughs> if anyone could use the title, the apostle, it's Peter. Because it's to him that Jesus looked specifically and said, On the rock... I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And to you, I entrust the keys of the kingdom. What you loose on earth will be loosed, and what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. It's to him that it was said. Now, by extension to him, he was speaking of his profession of faith. It was to all who would come after him. But don't get twisted in our minds because some have gone too far with their veneration of Peter that we're to demean Peter in some way. When Jesus looked at his 12 men, he looked into the eyes of Peter and through his eyes the others who would follow. It's to Peter that the Lord on John 21 sat on the bank and ate a fish and commissioned him as a shepherd. He did not do that with the others, only with Peter. And it's Peter who was the first to preach a witness strong enough that 3,000 were saved in a moment, and then every day after that they were being raised up and saved. And it's to Peter that the vision came that the church would not stay in little 
Jerusalem or Judea, but it would spread to the ends of the earth and the Gentiles. And now Peter, that man, is saying, I am your fellow elder. I'm just like you. I exhort you then, as an elder, as a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. Now, surely, yeah, it contains the idea that he witnessed physical sufferings of Jesus because he did. But there's more than that here. What he has witnessed is since the sufferings of Jesus, the filling up of the sufferings of Jesus by men like him and Paul. I'm witnessing, I'm giving you witness of the sufferings of Christ. In other words, he said, our chief shepherd suffered, and I watched it, but that's not all he said. What he's saying with this word is beyond that. Based on his suffering and his promise that we would suffer, look at my suffering. I witness to you as your fellow elder that we have entered into the joyful trial of persecution for the sake of the king. So I exhort you as elders, as your fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ. You have not signed up for a task of veneration. You've signed up for a task that will put you and your family through the fire. As well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. What is the end result? Not destruction, but glory. Peter's saying, I'm your elder, right there with you in the trenches, suffering alongside you because our, fa our father saw fit to make his son suffer, and all the sons suffer like him, filling up his suffering. And now there's suffering and suffering and fire and trial, but notice what he says in the text. There is a glory coming that's going to be revealed, and we're going to partake in it. What confidence, what joy. So what sustains the man in ministry is not the promise of outward reward, not the acclamation of the hundreds or thousands or whatever it is, worldwide acclaim. What sustains the man and his family in ministry is the promise of, the sure and steady promise that God will give a reward to those who suffer this call. I'm going to partake in this. You're going to partake in this. The glory that's going to be revealed. When? Not when the church grows to some status on the earth or some recognition. The glory isn't revealed then. The glory is revealed when he comes in all of his glory. I, I, mean, I don't know what that day will be. I mean, I know of it, but I don't know what it will be like. But I can imagine that beginning with our apostles, who Christ himself trained, and from them all the ranks of the martyrs, and from them all of the local shepherds and missionaries and pastors will come before the throne of God on that day. And they will come bearing the scars, the wounds, the hurt of all the years. 
And in that moment, they will say, it's not worth comparing to the great weight of glory that I'm looking at. And those things were preparing me for that day. That's what he says. So what are you to do? You've been called to it. You're being set apart for it quickly. This is what you've been called to, and this is the task. It's this simple, and it's this difficult. The exhortation is to shepherd the flock. Notice he says that you're to give shepherding to the people among you. The flock that God has put among you. Now, this is a hard lesson for some of us. Um, you know, there's not a prohibition on doing ministry outside of the church. Outside, you know, you can go and share in some ministry outside of the local context. But just understand that that ministry outside the local contract text of the church, Grace Fellowship, can never supersede or compete with the work done in Grace Fellowship. It must be priority number one that you shepherd the sheep that have been entrusted to you. Not somebody else's sheep. To you. That's a, that's a hard and clarifying moment, isn't it? Some of us are hard-headed. It takes us time. But Jesus has his ways of saying, Son, I've given you all you can do right there. Just do that. Stay focused. Why is that so important? Well, because you've got to give oversight to this flock. Oversight is the term bishop. And you notice it's used right here in our text talking about elder. There to give oversight to the local church. They're not to give oversight to many churches. They're not to give oversight to a region of churches. They're to give oversight to one church. One church, as Spurgeon said, is more than enough for one man or one group of men to give oversight to. It's pretty simple, right? This is not a complicated text. Oversight means to both see the flock, so you're looking at them and you're looking over them and you're minding to their wounds, their needs, their, their, their joys, their excitements and their passions. And you're giving good leadership and direction to them through prayer and the word. It means to look over them and it means to be responsible to plan for them and to have vision to see that the flock needs to keep going this direction and it does not need to go that direction. A good shepherd is concerned, his life is consumed with the flock God gives him as he gives oversight, direction, leadership, through prayer and word for these people. You have to see them, and you have to know them, and you have to be willing to take steps before them that they can follow. Give oversight to them. Not under compulsion, but willingly. The exhortation is to do it willingly. Don't make someone have to beg you to do this, Peter said. Don't make them threaten you from the outside. Some guys sadly become pastors and then it's a board of deacons or a board of trustees or some, some other thing, maybe it's their mom and daddy, I don't know, that guilt them into doing their job. If that becomes true of any of us elders, then we should step aside. 
it must be a willing thing to do. Why? Because it is a lonely job at times. As you stand for something that no one else yet sees. It's a painstaking job. By that I just mean <clears throat> get anybody to get 10 people in a room and then get those anybody's to do anything together. You've been called to keep sheep together that, quite frankly, might not really like each other all that much, at least at first. Are we, we going to be honest? Are we going to deal with the honesty or are we just going to polish it all up so it's Sunday school light, right? The truth is it's a painstaking job because we, the shepherds, are ornery and the sheep are ornery. We think we're the solution and the people think they're the solution. We lose our sight and they lose their sight. It's a hard task. It's a thankless task. It's a tiring task. It's a lonely task sometimes. If someone has to beg you to do it, you won't do it for long. Some guys carry this title all their lives and they haven't shepherded anybody, anywhere, ever. Not under compulsion, willingly running in a sense to the job. Not motivated by monetary gain, but eager. Monetary gain. He says here, shameful gain. It's not shameful to receive, to be set aside and to receive compensation for the good work of the gospel. Paul, Jesus, the law itself witnesses to this fact, right? It's, it's unassailable that the Bible says that men can be set aside to this task and they should be then paid for this task because their living should come from the gospel itself. Do not muzzle the ox was put into the law so that later Paul would say that was talking about shepherds, pastors, elders, missionaries, people who are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. It wasn't just about ox. God loves ox, but he loves his men more than ox, although sometimes his men act like ox. He still loves them. He feeds them. But this should never be the motivation. If someone says, I can't do the task unless you pay me, then that's not a man fit for the task. But if the man says, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to be on this task, that might be someone you want to set aside. He's consumed with it. It's all he thinks and all he does eagerly. He's running to it, not running from it. The exhortation is to not do it, to do it willingly, to do it eagerly, and to do it by example. Sometimes we think that the best way to get people to do things is to bull out the bull whip and drive them to it. That's Never the case. Sheep don't respond to cracks of whip very well. They don't respond to shouts, anger, threats, manipulation very well. Oh, you can probably get some of the people to do what you want them to do under that, but it will be harmful to their soul and to your soul. Rather, he says, do it by example. This speaks to the life that has to be lived, right? Fellas, it's not an eight-to-five job. It's not an eight-hour task, a ten-hour task. It's not a five-day-a-week task. And we know this. 
It's every moment of every day. Even while we sleep, we are shepherds who might be woken at any moment to pray for a sheep. And we don't know why we're praying. But the Father woke us up and they were firmly on our minds. It is a lazy shepherd that rolls over and says, I'll get to that tomorrow. It's every moment of every day for the rest of our lives. It's also an open season on your life. <laughs> They're going to shoot you before anybody <laughs> and me, right? We stand here and handle the most precious thing on the planet, God's very word. And then they look at our lives and say, you don't meet my expectations for you or you don't meet God's expectations for you. And if we're not willing to then humbly submit to the word of God and become an example, even in those areas that are hard for us, then this is not our task. The sheep respond not by bull whips and threats. They respond by tender care of a shepherd walking alongside and in front of them as they go to the green pasture and the still water that God has provided. This is the exhortation. Shepherd the flock as an overseer and an elder. How? Willingly, eagerly, by example. What's the end? Verse 4. Re reward for the work is the end. And when the chief shepherd appears. Notice that he doesn't call them shepherds, though he tells them they have the task of shepherding. Peter's very clear here. We are elders and overseers who have shepherding roles, but there is only one shepherd. He is the chief shepherd. You will receive from that shepherd, the shepherd, an unfading crown of glory. Now, often in Christian conversation, we talk about, well, you're given a crown, and then you immediately just throw it back to Jesus and all of that. And while I understand that, and I, I, I'm not, but listen, we're going to be among the hordes of those who lost arms and eyes and ears and tongues and necks. And when we walk to the throne with them to receive crowns for the work, do we really want to walk up there not certain there's going to be a reward because we're not certain we've really worked? You see how Peter motivates. He says, look, I can motivate you by calling rank. I'm the apostle. Do what I say. But he says, I'm one of you. Shepherd the flock. Give it oversight. Willingly, eagerly, by example. And this is why. Because the chief shepherd's coming. And he's going to reward you. Or not. You say, how do you, that's not here, Carlton. No. But 1 Corinthians 3. Spoken to, I believe, pastors like us says, some build with wood, hay, stubble, and when they stand before the throne, it's all burned away, yet that man is saved. 
even through the fire. And I just think, of the hordes of the men who came before us and will come after us, we do not want to be the ones that did not receive a reward. That's the motivation. Be rewarded by Christ himself for this work that he's put you in. The reward is not temporal, it is eternal. The reward cannot be given even by this church, it's given by Christ. The reward will then therefore be faithful and it will be just. No one will stand there and say, I deserved more than I got. I think we'll all stand there and say, he was more than gracious with me. <laughs> even the one who everything burns away. You've been exhorted, you've been told the reward. Now I want to speak to the church directly. I hope you've been listening, but it really is a day about these two guys and the broader eldership here. It really is. It's an important day. But listen, the next verse says this to the church. You who are younger, most believe younger means not just physically, although obviously, yes, but those younger, less mature less prepared, still needing to grow in their faith a lot under these shepherds, be subject to the elders. Be subject to them. You have set them aside, but now you are called to follow them. What will it take for you to do this? You will have to clothe yourself with humility. The shepherds will need to clothe themselves with humility, but let's be honest, you will have to clothe yourself with humility, not counting yourself more valuable than another. Because all of these frail, fallen men will fail you. They will fail you. You must clothe yourself in humility because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Church, your call is to follow now all of these men, including Corey and Adam, because you set them apart to a task that God gifted them to do. He has blessed them with, with a flock to lead, and he's blessed the flock with leaders to lead. And now it's a matter of them being humble and us, we, all of us being humble. Why? Because God opposes anything else besides humility. Like he calls on the shepherd to look to his eternal reward, he calls on you as a church, to look to your eternal Father so that you might walk together. Look, the goal of the flock is to get there together. And so, as we set them aside, we submit to their leadership. So follow them. I want to pray for them. I want our elders to pray for them. I want our church to pray for them. As we close out this time, um, we will pray together. But I want to ask that Corey and Adam, would you come forward? And, and Laura and Casey, would you join them? And guys, if you would, I want to ask that you would just kneel. And wives, if you would just stand behind them. And then I want to ask the other pastors to come and to pray over them, both individually, and then I'll pray for them as a congregation. We'll all stand and pray together uh, for these guys. And so, yeah, come on up. Just kneel here, kneel here.
Church, I'm going to call you to pray. We're going to pray for them. I'm, we want you to pray. So do that now.